I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPLRoundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Nick, a Liverpool fan, and I write for Anfield Index. You can follow them on Twitter at Anfield Index, or you can follow me at Nick underscore Truss. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm the online editor for TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. We're independent and we're opinion-based, so go and check us out. We're on Twitter, at TheEaglesBeak. I am Scott. I run the SwanseaWay.co.uk. It's an independent site about the Swans. Check that out. Or you can follow us on Twitter, at the TheSwanseaWay. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, we have Making the Rounds, where we just have a few minutes to discuss what's been going on at our clubs this week. Obviously, Nick, there's been quite a bit going on at Liverpool. So, uh, what's your take on it? Yeah, um, I went to Wembley on Sunday, and yeah, it was a disaster. Got the train down early Saturday morning to make a weekend of it. So, the Saturday was good, so the weekend wasn't wasted. It was nice and sunny in London, so uh, got to have a bit of a walk around there, and you know, <laughs> I enjoyed that. Then Sunday came, I met Gags before the game, Mr. Anfield Index, in case anyone's wondering who that is. And everyone was in good spirits. There was a game of football going on outside Wembley. Everyone you know, just kicking the ball and trying to keep it away from the stewards. And then the first 10 minutes of the game were decent. Everyone was singing, the good you'll never walk alone. And then after that, it just it just died. And the rest of the game was dreadful. I've never experienced anything like that, in a, especially in a, an FA Cup semi-final. There was a group of people in front of us who just like sat down. And then they complained to the stewards that the people in front of them stood up. So then the steward came and made everyone sit down. And then one of the guys in front turned around and started having a go. Obviously, the guy made everyone sit down. So it wasn't really ideal. Like fans turning on each other after about 10, 15 minutes. Following that, we scored and you know we looked like we could steal it because we haven't played well in the FA Cup so far. But we've managed to get through. We managed to get through to the semi-finals anyway after a few replays. And then, but yeah, like I say, they obviously Villa equalised before half-time. Markovic got dragged off and Balotelli got brought on and nothing changed. We just continued to play poor. Villa scored a second and then we just never looked like scoring after that. The supporters continued to have a go at each other and you know some of them had a point because you paid 43 quid to get in so why wouldn't you support the team? You're not, you know, you're not at the cinema as one of them said. You're not at the cinema so why are you just sitting down and just like watching the game when everyone else wants to you know, enjoy themselves? So I didn't meet up with Gags outside the game because I just wanted to get the train back up, up north. And yeah, but this game's broken Gags. If anyone's spoken to him, <laughs> probably not. He's normally the most. We had a very Gags. tough time getting a Liverpool guest on on Sunday. So much so that it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was on the train, so I was uh, unavailable. So, um, yeah, so we've never seen Gags like this before. Honestly, he's 
normally the most optimistic guy about Liverpool. He's just completely just gone off it. And just I think the team's just broken. We don't look like scoring at all. There's serious issues. But then maybe we were spoilt by Suarez last season. And But I think we should be posing more of a threat than we are. Then after the game, Brendan Rodgers said the occasion might have overwhelmed, overwhelmed the players. And to be honest, that's just disgusting from a Liverpool manager to say that. We, we are Liverpool Football Club. We've we've never won the Premier League, but we are the most decorated club in English football in terms of major honours, you know, FA Cup, League Cup and League titles, Champions Leagues. Yeah, he's just putting more and more pressure on him, saying stuff like that. And there's rumours that he's flying out to Boston at some point for a crisis meeting, but obviously I'm not sure how true that is and the Klopp rumours are getting stronger and stronger by the day although I personally like, like we said last week I don't think we'd, we'd get Klopp because I just don't think that's the kind of manager you would get and we'll probably end up with someone like Tim Sherwood and <laughs> in other news like you mentioned before Jordan Henderson signed a new five year deal 100 grand a week um, is he worth it I'm not sure but for your captain 100 grand a week if you're you know like a top four side like us or not top four top six you're probably paying your captain Way over 100 grand a week, aren't you? So it's probably not too bad. And yeah, that's, a, that's about it, really. Not good. <laughs> yeah, as you mentioned last week, we talked about uh, bringing in Klopp if, if Rogers, you know, stumbled, which obviously he has. You said you might not be able to get him in and jested about Sherwood, who we apparently underrate. Um, but but what kind of targets would you think you'd be looking at if, if he uh, was let go? I honestly would love us to go for someone like Klopp or. Is it Emney? It's severe. There's lots of names mm. um, thrown about, but I honestly just think we'd end up with a, another young British manager, and we, we, we're not going to sort of you know, pay pay him in much money. Like we don't pay our players much money, but it just depends how serious FSG are of improving the club, and if the rumours are true that they want to just build the club up and then sell us on, I'm sure investing in a top quality manager wouldn't, you know, like detriment the their plan sure it's only going to make us better and it's just yeah it's just a, a mess really and I'm not confident that with with the recruitment at the club like at the minute that we'd get anybody half decent in so whether it would be an improvement on Rogers is just it remains to be seen really um, just just quickly on that Nick and without trying to sound like I'm sort of sticking the boot in a bit like Steven Gerrard as somebody who's seen Brendan Rogers style of football Swans and obviously at Liverpool since um, I've always thought that Steven Gerrard was just a complete non-fit in that team I think most Liverpool fans probably think the same thing now as well but there, I, I'm sure you've seen it there was a mad stat kicking around uh, last week and it said that Steven Gerrard in games that Liverpool have started Steven Gerrard this season they've won 39% of those games without Steven Gerrard they've, they've won 62% of the games so my question would be is, it, is there any sense in Liverpool fans that I think because there have been quite a few occasions where Liverpool have excelled without Gerrard in the team. And then when he's come back into the team, it's looked a little bit forced. Is there a kind of, well, we should have a look and see what happens next season without Gerrard there, without his aura there, and where the rest of the players are going to have to sort of step up over the summer and uh, and take that mantle on and perhaps even take a little bit of the pressure off Rodgers almost? Yeah, I do agree to an extent there because... Obviously, I've been thinking for a couple of years. Gerard has been the go-to guy when it's not—he's not necessarily needed to be. So people, when he's on the pitch, they'll try and find Gerard. Like Henderson at the mm-hmm. weekend, he was sort of, you know, diminishing his role because 
was trying to find Jarrell all the time rather than playing the ball himself. So yeah, I, I do see the do see there is there is a logic there, and you know if Brendan Rodgers does say it, it will be interesting to see Liverpool without Steven Gerrard because I'm obviously not the oldest guy, and Steven Gerrard's been in the Liverpool team for as long as I can remember. So for me, it's going to be very strange not having Steven Gerrard in the Liverpool squad, but I do think it is probably for the better now that he he does go and. He should only probably play one more game before the end of the season, but he will probably end up playing them all. And I think that's Crystal Palace at home because it's his last game at Anfield. So, yeah, it's just a time to to rebuild. And people are saying Rogers is going to stay, and people are saying he's going to go. And it was the same with Kenny a couple of years ago, and mm. nobody knew until until it actually happened. So, I wouldn't mind him staying. I mean. Obviously, I want him to do well because of you know what what he did last year. I don't I put so much sort of into supporting him that I don't just want to you know sack him off after after one bad year. But when you've got the likes of Klopp available, and if we could get somebody like Klopp, would it be is Rogers even half the quality that Klopp is? I'm not sure. Well, we're, we're sorry for piling on you there. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to Jay who after a, a nice little run of form there for a little while were stopped by West Bromwich Albion on the weekend. What was your view of that game? Yeah, um, we were pulists, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I can put it any better than that. It was um, obviously we were all, you know coming off the back of a great win uh, or a destruction of Sunderland away from home. Um, but our home form has been hit and miss this season. Um, we, we hope that with the introduction of Pardew, that he would address that. He he did seem to address it, although I think his first home game was Everton at home, which we lost to lost to an early goal, second minute goal, and it was it was very similar to this game in that you know all the talk before the game was about Pulis, and and to be fair, um, he got a you know got he got a good round of applause when he came out onto the pitch just before kickoff, which uh, you know there was a few boos around, but there's kind of a bit of a mixed feeling around Palace. In that you know he did a good job for us last year, but it, then he walked out on us. So it's kind of you can see where the two contrasts kind of are. Um, but it wasn't as bad as some people making out. It wasn't a majority of the crowd. It was you know the majority of the crowd were were applauding him. Um, but Palace didn't start well at all. We I mean I think if if you'd have said to West Brom and Pulis that they would have a lead after two minutes, they'd have been jumping for joy because you know their game plan. You know West Brom were you know. Very similar to the old Stoke team. That uh, no, no offense to Dan if he's listening from Baggage Facts, but they're a big side and they they filled their defense with big players and the midfield with Jakob. Um, you know they are they are a tough side to, to to get around. And I knew for a fact that he wouldn't allow or Pulis wouldn't allow um, a result like he did at home to Leicester the week before. And it you know this this game was going to be completely different, and it was. I mean, we gave them lead, really. It was poor marking. I think Punch and slipped, and, and Morrison uh, headed in. But I did see some analysis on the TV, which, which was quite quite clever, in that you watch slow motion, and that all the players, all the West Brom players, kind of, the way they run to the near post and left one midfielder in in running into the box, you know, literally on a penalty spot, um, to head it home was, um, yeah, could, if that was well planned, then, you know, fair play to, to, to Pulis for doing that. But, um after two minutes, you know, going one 0 down to a Pulis team, it was, um, you know, it was, it was it was quite difficult. But but to be fair, we didn't play that badly. Um, we had a good go at them. We just um, Glenn Murray was slightly off form in front of goal. I think he had two or three chances, which 
you know, in previous weeks he would have scored. Um, Balassi had a fantastic overhead kick. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys saw it. Yeah. Uh, the keeper matched it, you know, was well matched to it, which is, you know, fair play. And I think, to be to be honest, Balassi hit it too too cleanly, if ever there was, um, you know, if that makes sense. Um, you know, he, he got up for it. And I think it was a, a flick on as well, which took the ball away from him a bit more. So um, great effort. Um, we perhaps should have had a penalty um, with uh, Gardner's challenge, or I don't know if it's a challenge or not, but in, in the area on Zaha, Zaha had a really good, he was my man in the match. He, he really impressed. Um, Blasi on the other side was, uh, you know, working hard. Um, but it, it was a really tough game. Um, I have to say, John Moss was absolutely awful in the middle, and I'm really surprised he's got the FA Cup final this season. Uh, we've got previous with John Moss because um, last season up at Old Trafford, uh, he gave United a penalty for a foul outside the area and sent off uh, our South African midfielder, uh, Degashwi. Um, so, you know, we, oh, we've got. That's not how seen... you say that. Yeah. <laughs> Degag De- De- and. Or, or, yeah, yeah. Or, or KG, um, as Cardiff fans say. Because um, <laughs> he's down in Cardiff now. But. Um, yeah, it, it was it was one of those games where you know we huffed and we puffed and we we had plenty of chances, um, and we were hit by a sucker punch. Um, it was a clearance from uh, from a corner, and it came out to Craig Gunn. I actually did a write up for uh, Dan over at Baggage Facts, and I said one player that we need to watch from long distance is Craig Gardner, and he did exactly that. Uh, yeah, hit a screamer, um, and to be fair, he wasn't closed down the ball. We didn't we didn't close the ball down. But it was one of those hits that, you know, even Speroni had no chance. It came for a crowd of players and went top corner. Great goal. And, you know, after the Phillips goal for QPI the other week where, you know, we're already 3 nil up, you know, you can applaud that goal. But we certainly won't applaud in this one. Um, West Brom went 2 nil up and uh, and they kind of set the stall as they had. I think there are only two real chances, uh, you know, to score and, and and they scored. And that's kind of, you know, what we were doing under Pulis last season, to be fair. Um, so, you know, just the real feeling that we were, you know, completely completely pure list. Pardew made some changes at half time. He took off um well Leddy was playing left back actually um and, and Jednak went off as well with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we bought on Soiree and Soiree had a really good second half. It's the best we've seen of him and some of his crosses he was he was pinging in were uh, you know re- really excellent and uh, hopefully that's something he, he can add to his game because he hasn't really looked that comfortable since he's since he's joined us. But um you know not not too down. I mean you know we're safe but we you know we want to try and push on for that top ten. I mean there you know, there is a chance we could reach uh, you know, take that tenth place spot off of West Ham to start with, and, and maybe push to Stoke. I know Stoke won last week, but we do have a you know quite a tough run of games. We've got Chelsea away, Man United at home, Liverpool away. You know, in in our last few games, um, but you know, it, it's just one of those games. I think on Saturday that you know all the hype around Pulis, he came back and 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 got the three points. Perhaps he knew too much about the Palace side. You know, it's not long since he left the club. We do have a very similar starting lineup to to what he would have used. I think it's probably one or two players that he wouldn't have known. So, you know, if anybody's going to have some info, inside information on us, he would. But we just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net on Saturday. Uh, really couldn't. And uh, you know, put it down as one of those. But we've had a good run recently. Uh, you know, it's put us on the fringes of the top ten safety. Uh, third season in, in succession in the Premier League. We can't really complain too much about that at all. The only other thing I was going to mention is that there's a lot of rumours going around about uh, Liverpool's interest in, in our star winger, Yannick Balassi, which is uh, quite interesting. I think Alan Pardew came out in his press conference today and, and, and put a price tag of about £40 million on his head, which is quite quite funny. Well, hey, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do if, you if, want if you to do, or will you? If you do, Liverpool, we will pay it. I, 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 tell, I tell you something. He's not watch, English, though. 
<laughs> watching uh, Yannick week in week out I mean some of the skills he's got but he can be such a frustrating player I know a lot of Palace fans that would say if, if a team offered you know seven or eight million for him then then they'd bite your arm off mm. um, he it, has it feels come... kind of Townsendy. yeah I where like know, the, where like the top potential is like yeah. near world class but the constant potential is just average really like yeah. the highs and the lows I mean, to be fair, he's had a fantastic second half of the season. Uh, he went off to African Nations Cup duty. had a, had a good had a good competition there, which uh, DR Congo got to the semi finals, I think, from a brightly. Um, so it's a long, you know, it's been a long season for him. A lot of travelling, um, but it, the second half is since he's come back, we've noticed a slight difference in him. In that, you know, he's seeming to um, be doing that bit extra, uh, you know, and obviously the hat trick at Sunderland. Uh, the previous weekend, um, you know, he, he's not been adding goals to his game, but scoring a hat trick. It would be nice if he got one last week, but you know, it, 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 it's a silly season, isn't it? So there will be uh, starting to be players being banded around, and I guess you know, with our relative success this season, we we do have a few players which some teams may may well be looking at. I think the other rumor was West Ham were looking at James MacArthur. Um, so you know, there are a few players that you know will no doubt interest some of the top six or seven sides perhaps but you know we don't want to be selling to the likes of West Ham because you know we should be thinking that we're you know we're we're not far behind a team like that all right Scott what's been going on over at Swansea well we lost to Leicester that wasn't great um but you're not going to win them all I guess that's the beauty of following a team like the Swans there's <laughs> a lot, lot less pressure than uh than if you're trying to win the league every year we're just happy to be happy to be playing like you know um yeah, I, I'm not too fussed. We lost to Leicester. Ah, big deal. So what? Uh, they really need the points. We're already... Well, we need we need a point to set um, a record for the Swans in terms of points gained at Premier League level. Um, so with that in mind, I thought I'd try and find some interesting things to talk about. And it's interesting that uh, we, were, we were talking about West Brom a second ago. Um, so I've just had a look now for uh, goals scored from set pieces this season. Uh, have a guess... I'll put this out to you guys. Have a guess. Who do you think's got the most goals from set pieces this season? United? Is it us? No, neither. You know, you're, not, you're very Arsenal. close, Joe. Very close. No, you're very close. We've well, uh, no, it's West Brom and Spurs. Way. Both scored 15 from set pieces. We constantly complain about how poor our set pieces are. That's uh, incredible. So, yeah, so 15 from set pieces. Same tied with West Brom. Arsenal or Palace, both with 14. Down the other end, Swans. Obviously, bottom three. <laughs> Get in. <laughs> no, do you not work? Do you not work at? Uh, what about Sigurdsson? Yeah, it's, it's not our thing, Jay. It's not our thing, mate. It's not our thing. I think. Yeah, Jesus, I hadn't even thought about that. Now that you say that, Sigurdsson scored. He scored a direct free kick against like Arsenal. Two of the first three weeks. He scored a direct free kick against Arsenal. Did he score a direct free kick in the first couple of weeks? As I well? think. I think so. Yeah. Because that was like when everybody was like, oh my gosh, Tottenham were so dumb for keeping Ericsson. Because that was before Ericsson started tucking all of them in. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so that doesn't bode particularly well for the Swans. <laughs> Interestingly, Liverpool, four. One more. Um, so there's perhaps something to be said there about um, types of football and, and focus in terms of the team. Uh, like it's you say, a lot last season, though. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a fair point. Um, it's, it's interesting. I think there's a, like a gelling period with managers where when you take over I think for a while if it all goes well you see the best of the new manager coupled with the best of the remnants of the old manager I think we saw that with Loudrup at the Swans I think um, I think Rogers he's kind of been hot and cold I think when you look at the entirety of his 
managerial career. But like Everton last year under Martinez, um, really solid defence, which blew my mind. But this season, now that Martinez has had a chance to properly indoctrinate all the all of the Everton centre backs, they're struggling for clean sheets. And um, so it does make me wonder. But I, I just thought that was an interesting, interesting stat. This one's when he's got three goals from set pieces all season. But we have had a couple of penalties this season, which is good because I think we went over an entire season without being given one. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so that's good to see. In, in other sort of general and uh, non-stat related stuff, um, Gomez is out for a couple of more weeks. I thought Nelson Oliveira showed a couple of tidy touches against Leicester. Um, he's going to have a couple more chances uh, to get himself a goal and, and play himself into form before Gomez comes back fit. Um, I like the look of him, to be honest. It's, it's hard as a striker when you're only coming in and playing the odd game here or there because strikers thrive on confidence. It's a cliche, but it's, it's completely true. And you, you need that run in the team to get your, uh, to get your confidence up and, and, and to get your shooting boots on, as it were. And I, I hope he does well because I think he's looked a tidy player. He's, he's got a very good first touch. There was one little turn he did, uh, turn away from the centre-back and he got a shot off uh, against Leicester and Kasper Schmeichel did really well to save that. Um, so, so, yeah, so hopefully he can do well. Um what else? Uh, Swans. Uh, we got Newcastle this weekend. Um, got to beat Newcastle. If anybody's listening, actually, I put this out on Twitter earlier. When they when Newcastle came down to the Liberty earlier on this season, um, they were rocking all those sackpardu.com posters. And I managed mm. to get managed to get myself one. Um, so, <laughs> pardon me. Uh, so, if anybody's going up to Newcastle, if you could get me one of those Ashley out ones, I think that's the, <laughs> you just start that's a collection. The, I got the set. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, if anybody, any Swans fans are listening, if they're going up to Newcastle, get in touch at the Swans UA and uh, grab me an ashleyout.com. <laughs> little post figures. The guys, they were very friendly, the people giving them out. I'll say that. <laughs> they were very, very, very keen for Swans <laughs> of them. And, and I can't knock that. I, I, I agree with the sentiment as well. I think, I think it's very strange the way the club's being run. But for that reason, I think Swans, you've got to be confident of a victory. I think we've done all right against Newcastle of late. Um, yeah, so... It's kind of interesting to see what tactics we're going to use for the rest of the season because we haven't played with wingers at the outset of a game for, for quite some time now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether we change that up, whether we go back to wingers against Newcastle or indeed in it for any game for the remainder of the season because I think what Monk's done is looked at the team. We're, we're strongest at centre-back, we're strongest at central midfield. Um, I don't think he fan Well, I know he doesn't fancy the three at the back idea for now at least, so I think it's just a way of getting... Our most our strongest players all in the team at the same time, and I think undeniably at the moment, I think central midfield is the area where we're strongest. So it, it allows four central midfielders to play, which, which I, th- I think it's been a good thing. We've got a new way of playing now, and um, yeah, just be interesting to see, like I say, sort of which way it goes for the rest of the season. But yeah, confident for Saturday. I got a question for you, Scott. Actually, if that's all right. Yeah, um, sure. Read an article um, interview with uh, Gary Monk, and he kind of questioned that uh, you know whether whether Swansea can actually compete with the likes of Southampton and Spurs for a European place. And he kind of said about the infrastructure the club still has to improve, um, which you know they kind of do it slowly, um, yeah. and they're not really looking at challenging for a, a you know a, a European place this season. But it's something you know kind of on the horizon. But he kind of indicated that you know whether Swansea are at a position now where. You know, is that as far as they can go as a club in the Premier League? And it's you know similar sentiment to to like where where we go from from where we are now. I mean, you know, if we're looking at finishing sort of mid table, eleventh, tenth, eleventh place, you know, what do we look to do from hit from this point on? I think you alluded to alluded to it before, but it's interesting to read what Gary Munker said in this article. To be honest, yeah, I think being completely honest, I think we've just got to be patient. 
Mm. I think there is, um, and I, I've written about this a couple of times, and I think this transcends football. I don't think this is just something that exists in football. I think this applies to the modern world, and I think really, really interesting and important parallels can be drawn. I think there's an awful lot of what you could call short-termism. Mm. Um, people live for today, shoot for success if something doesn't happen, to hell with the consequences. And, and that's the way football clubs are being run, by and large, at, at the top level now, is there's this carrot on a stick, and yeah, you could get into European football, you could finish further up the league, you get money, you've got to buy big players to compete. Um, and there are clubs who've shown that's a fallacy, and you don't need that. That is not something you need. If, Like I say, we lose, we lose against Leicester, there's people on Twitter going, oh, it's the end of the world, blah, 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 blah. But it, so what? You lose games, it happens. But and I think and I think the media, by and large, have a large responsibility and, and a, have have been a large part of this. In uh, everything needs to be sensationalised. So if you lose a game, there's got to be a crazy reason why you've lost the game, and it's got to be a big drama. And if you win, it's the best win ever. And, and there's a lot of perspective lacking, I think, in football uh, and in society in general. And I think the way clubs are being run, the way the way the country's being run in Britain at the moment, to get a little bit political and off topic, you know, <laughs> I think I think things are being run unsustainably. And the people in charge are happy for things to be run sustainably because they're creaming massive money out of it and, and they're going to be fine. They're not going to be the ones left foot in the bill and, and repairing all the damage. Um, you look at like the rise in supporters' trust. I got given a good book to raffle mm. off on my website, um, Punk Football, just uh, by like, Jim Keowen, uh, Everton fan. Um, really interesting just about fan ownership in football. And I think what I'm getting at is you've got to be patient. I think there's this desire for everybody to shoot for the stars every year and, and to finish high up the league. But the reality of it is that progress doesn't necessarily come on the field. And I've been arguing this for a while with the Swans now. I think we are realistically at the top end of, if not the very top at this exact moment in time of where we could expect to be realistically for the next four to five years. And that's not good enough for some people. Some people think we need to compete. Like we have this divine right to compete for Champions League football. I got news for you. We're a bloody tiny club. <laughs> it's like, who, who, what gives us the right to compete with Manchester United and Liverpool and Arsenal and Chelsea and Man City over the last years? The only thing that will give us that right is doing it sustainably and properly and running the club properly and, and putting ourselves in a position whereby if we're diligent enough and if there's enough hard work put in behind the scenes and the facilities have developed enough, um, and eventually we'll get there. I couldn't agree more with you, actually. I mean, it's like you say... Losing a game these days seems to be the end of the world, more so than I ever remember it when I was a lot younger. Um, and a lot of that is to do with the media. A lot of that is to do with social media. Um, and everything seems to be instant now and in your face. And, it, you know, something has to happen here. And then, and like I say, you know, it's great to discuss down the pub, you know, what went wrong in that game. But in the day, I mean, it's different if you lose the FA Cup semi-final, like, like Nick's just experience i'm not laughing really but that that's a little bit different if you're that close to reaching a final then you kind of are a bit more disappointed but you know for clubs like palace and, and swansea you know we lost it last weekend but you know we, we, we you know we're safe this season i don't want us to drop too far down division but like you say you lose games it happens you know you move on to the next one but you know this, this is what we're here for you know football's a discussion point isn't it and like you say you got to do it sustainably uh, palace you know are looking at um, well, a third successive um, Premier League season, which you know, which is the right way to go, doing it the right way. If we can keep on doing that for a couple more seasons, then maybe we can think about you know looking above us a bit more. But you know, yeah, you, you have to think about what you want to achieve in that division first, and ultimately for for a team like Palace, is first thing survival, and then then build on from there. Yeah, um, on to Tottenham. Obviously, we didn't have a match midweek. 
Uh, and pretty much every <laughs> news story has been surrounding around a, a certain Hugo Lloris, who I've, I've been talking and pro all season thus far about how tremendous he's been for us. Um, I've mentioned several times throughout the season about through some of the uh, better-known ITKs in the Spurs community, and, and if you follow Hugo's wife, M Maureen, I, that's how it's spelled. I'm sure it's not how it's pronounced. <laughs> but um, anyway, she constantly is talking about how much she loves London and wants to stay, and they have kids that are already in school that they want to keep there and stuff. So on top of all of that, there were a lot of rumors that came out this week saying that Hugo Lloris wants Champions League football. And then from there, it got into the typical media hype train, which Scott just alluded to, where uh, it had to become a, Hugo Lloris is leaving Tottenham, and he hates Tottenham, and why would why did he even go there in the first place? What's the point of life? Those kind of questions. Um, for Only for Poch to come out today to say that Hugo has told him directly that he wants Champions League football, and then everybody held their collective breaths, and then he finished the sentence with, at Tottenham. Um, that, that Hugo Lloris wants to kind of be the one to usher in a new era of, of Champions League football at Tottenham. And, and you know, <laughs> that's what Gareth Bale said. You know, he said, I'll, I'll definitely stay if we get Champions League. And if not, I'd still like to stay and help. Uh, and then Real Madrid called. He was like, okay, <laughs> bye. Um, <laughs> which could always happen. But um, it, it does link, link up with what a lot of people have been saying all season, that he really does look at this as a building project that he wants to be a part of. So... Only time will really tell on that. As far as his immediate future, uh, he did return to training this week uh, and then left training, uh, whether it was just to get more physio work or what, he did leave training a little bit early, but it looks like he may be in contention uh, to start this weekend, which would obviously be a big boost for us. Just his presence on the pitch has, has been sorely missed, although it was better with Vertonghen back last week. Um, just getting those two at the back is obviously of great benefit for us. Uh, other quick news, um, in the same press conference, Pochettino was asked about the, the, uh, the damage that Europa League football can have on your top four, uh, challenge, and he said that it definitely hurts our top four chances, and said, quote, no Europa League would be a clear advantage in the chase for fourth, which is pretty bold to say at a club, uh, when we've been in that competition many times over the last five or six years. So for him to come out and blatantly say that it would be good to miss out is an interesting one. If he had said this two weeks ago, I think we would have chalked up the, the draw to Burnley and the loss to Leicester in that category of maybe we're kind of trying to avoid getting Europa League. But then obviously we played so, uh, sort of well uh, at the weekend getting a win uh, at Newcastle. But I, I do think it's it's worth noting that, that he came out and, and blatantly said that you know, it might be better for us if we didn't have to play in Europa League, despite the, you know, the carrot at the end of the stick of you can get Champions League if you win it, which is something we have failed to do in our many attempts recently. Um, lastly, stadium news. This this is a rumor that was going around around, around uh, December, which was that we're trying to make our new stadium NFL compatible. Um, I, as an NFL and American fan, I'm like, that would be really awesome. But apparently I'm in the minority. As many people are, are saying, you know, it'd kind of be like a corporate sellout kind of situation. Or as I'm looking at it as, you know, the NFL is one of the five biggest companies in the world. Um, and, and if they were willing to chip in some money to make it dual purpose, I, I would have no problem with that from a financial standpoint. Um, a lot of people saying this might lead to there eventually being a, a London NFL club, which has been rumored for years and years. I, I don't see how it could happen. So they'd have two bye weeks and it would bifurcate. 
having eight home games and then eight away games, and then the next year it would switch, then they'd have their home games during the playoff race. I, I really don't see that happening anytime soon as a person that follows both both sports. But if we're going to continue having more and more NFL games, it started out as just one, then two, and now we're looking at four. Uh, I think it would benefit us to, to bring in that NFL money. And we've done events with the Seattle Seahawks. We've done events with the with the San Francisco 49ers uh, that, that would give us those kind of opportunities. So I am interested in that. Um, then the last stadium news is, uh, at a supporters trust meeting, the supporters asked, uh, the, the, the representatives from Tottenham, if they're looking into, uh, safe standing at, at the new Tottenham stadium. And they said, if laws are passed, it will be there, which I think is a very interesting direction to take that, um, kind of like the potch thing, you know, it's kind of, let's wait and see what actually happens. But I don't know if your clubs have discussed this. Uh, in the past on, on safe standing and stuff, but it was pretty clear cut that if, if a law was changed, that Tottenham would be behind it. Do you know how each of your clubs stand on that? Yeah, I believe we're, we're interested in something of that, that kind. We, we've made, uh, noises in, in, in that area as well, but obviously being an old ground like we are, it might be a little bit more difficult to, to implement, but it's certainly something that, uh, that we've expressed an interest in. Yeah, I think it's something the Swans have looked at as well. I know the, the Safe Standing Roadshow was down earlier on in the season. Mm. I think I'm right in saying it's. I think <clears throat> I think I'm right in saying the Swansea City Supporters Trust backs it. Um, I don't know if there's been any official word from the club off the top of my head. I think it's possibly one of the things I'd imagine Hugh Jenkins and the others have probably said. If- Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If the law's passed, it's definitely something we'll look at because I think it's, it's a no-brainer to well, to anybody who actually likes football, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think United and Liverpool are two clubs that have said that they would look at it. I believe. Um, I think I did some. I did an article about this a little while ago uh, about safe standing and the clubs that were expressing interest. I know Bristol City have put in some safe standing to to trial, and, and they're one of the clubs that were um you know quite quite behind it but um i know some of the top clubs and i believe if i remember rightly it, it was man united and liverpool both said um that they they would look at it if it became um you know uh you know par past the safety standards or whatever they need to do um but i think liverpool have a bigger issue in that um it's something to do with their um their supporters group and obviously the the you know the the families of hillsborough uh, I think the the lead speaker for that group is, is is against it, so I think it makes it a little bit more difficult from that perspective. Yeah, it is a very, very, very sensitive issue surrounding obviously Liverpool and the the families of Hillsborough. A lot of people are on board with it because of the the word safe, but there are a lot of people who have lost 
lost family members and friends in the Hillsborough disaster who, no matter how many times you say the standard's going to be safe, how safe is it going to be? And the reason why seats are, or stadiums are all seaters now is because because of what happened back then. So I would like to see safe standing if that meant more people could get in the ground and ticket prices reduced and the atmosphere was obviously you know improved because of that but at the same time you've got to think about you know the, the consequences of what's happened in the past and whether the safe standing will be truly safe and, and whether it will put some fans off because of well, especially Liverpool fans off because of what's happened happened in the past especially with the uh it's all over the news now, isn't it? They're looking for those 18 fans who, you know, helped the injured at yeah. Hillsborough, and with the inquest going on and stuff like that, maybe now is not the best time for mm. for Liverpool to even discuss that until sort of the uh, all the inquests have, have finished and there's been a, a verdict given. Mm. I do, I do think though it's massively different to the old terraces. The old terraces were were very different to what this proposal is, and obviously, you know, you get your own space, don't you? And you, yeah, it's, it's like yeah. it's basically just seats that fold up. It's like narrow yeah. seats, bus yeah. stops, and, and, I think, and, it, and it's you know thoroughly tested out in Germany. And we've alluded to the Bundesliga being a, a good example as to what clubs could potentially you know perhaps follow and and the way they do things over there. And you know they they there are problems in German football, but you know a lot of things they do sensibly. And safe stand is one of those things where I think it's um, a lot of the stadiums they built for the World Cup in Germany that they included safe standing in in a, in a lot of them and it works um exceptionally well so I, I do think that there's you know while while some fans i understand the sensitivity of it from a liverpool perspective completely um you know i, I still remember where i was when i heard uh you know heard what was going on that day and you know still you know it's, it's still a, a shocking thing to to kind of comprehend and, and for me you know, I remember being on the terraces myself and just thinking that I think um, you know it was the year after that Palace got through to the uh, to the cup final and we had a, a semi final at uh, uh, you know at uh, Aston Villa it was at the time. But you know, just thinking if that was a year year different, it it, it could have been you know could have been Palace fans uh, caught up in that. Um, so you know, count ourselves lucky from that respect, but it doesn't make it any easier to to kind of comprehend. And I completely understand, you know, the, the feelings towards it, but I do think that you know it's a completely different thing to to what the old terrace used to be. Um, um, and, and this safe standing appears to be exactly that, and it's been thoroughly tested over in Germany. Yeah, I, I do get Nick's Nick's point that maybe right now isn't the time to. Uh... <laughs> To bring it up, especially from a Liverpool standpoint. So it'll be interesting to see what way it goes. It does seem like most supporters groups are for it, while most clubs are a little bit hesitant. Um, but I guess it's one of those things that will just kind of unfold naturally as time progresses, and uh, we'll see where it, where it ends up. Yeah, just a quick point. Um, I've mm. mentioned before that we were standing up at the game at, at Wembley yeah. on, on Sunday. So, I mean, I stand up at the game anyway, so obviously I'd be, I'd be willing to you know, just not have the seat there and stand up anyway, so... It's just a case of people stand up whether we've got a seat or not. So, I mean, that could be an argument for it as well. Mm. It doesn't matter whether you've got a seat because you're just going to stand up anyway. <laughs> unless people complain. Yeah, yeah unless people complain. <laughs> All right, uh, on to the topic, which is going to rub a little salt in some wounds, <laughs> um, uh, which is obviously none of us are in Champions League. Liverpool gave it a go. We keep pretending like we're in the Champions League every year, even though we haven't been <laughs> since 2010. Um 
But the the brief topic is just how do you feel about this year's Champions League? Are are you following it? Do you have any rooting interests? Who do you think will win it, etc.? I was until about December <laughs> when we went crashing out of it. Were you rooting for but, Liverpool? Yeah, I, I never thought we, we were going to win it, but obviously the games were good when we had them. It's better than not being in it. But yeah, so I try to pretend that I'm interested in, in watching the Champions League, but realistically I don't watch that many games unless they're on sort of ITV and I'm just not doing anything. I'll just put it on in the background or something. But... I am actually hoping for a, like a Bayern Munich Barcelona final because I'll, I'll normally will watch the final. So, like I like rooting for the underdog. Like a couple of years ago, it was Dortmund. Obviously, Dortmund are a massive club now, but he sort of came out of nowhere a couple of years ago. And Atletico last year got to the final. But yeah, this year, if Barcelona and, and Bayern Munich get to the final, just for just for Suarez as I mentioned before, just and a special Pep player. Facing Barcelona um, would be fun. Yeah, so I just think that that would be the best game. Well. You say that sometimes, and they end up being the worst games. But yeah, so if Barcelona and Bayern get to the final, I'm sure it would be would be pretty interesting. Yeah, Ch- Champions League. What's that? Can you run run it past me again? Uh, it's this thing that Tottenham fans think, think they're entitled TV, to every year. <laughs> <laughs> on TV on a Wednesday, I think, and a Tuesday. Yeah, it's it's a distant distant dream for us. But I, I mean, as a neutral, um, I mean, I I enjoy all, all kinds of football anyway, so I do watch the Champions League. Um, as for this season. Yeah, it's 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 been okay. I, I still have a problem with the size of it. Um and the fact that Europa League I don't like the way the Europa League's setting up on I rarely watch Europa League. I st- I still think that the Champions League should be uh, the Champions League, so it should be just the champions of each uh country playing in it. I, I still do. And that would uh perhaps make the Europa League or whatever guys, UEFA Cup or whatever guys want to make it into make that into a uh, you know, a knockout competition again. Um, yeah. And I think that would liven it up a bit and, and have the runners-up of leagues. And if you want the third-place team in there, then fine. I, I You know, I, I kind of think it's a little bit diluted European competition now when, when you can talk or when you can perhaps qualify for it if you finish seventh or sixth in the Premier League to get into it. I'm not making it, you know, it's no offence to teams that have got into it in, in the past or through the FA Cup or anything, but um, I still watch it. It's it's football and, you know, it's top-class football, even though uh, some of the antics aren't what I agree with. But I think particularly this week, it, it was quite it's quite good. I was expecting something a bit more from Porto this week, but being, was it 4-0 down at half-time? I thought, <laughs> um, you know, they were completely blitzed. And it kind of shows that, you know, somebody's its top sides are hard to beat. You can do it once in the home leg, but if you let in that away goal, you know. Yeah, and they conceded it, far too early in that match. They I think did. It was within they the did. first 10 minutes, and it was just like, oh, this is not going to end well. Yeah. They did it without Robin. They did it without Rebury. It's, it's unreal. Yeah, they, they, they looked, you know, they looked like they were. Um, yeah, going for blood, really, didn't they? But uh, this is competition. I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing Juventus sneak into the final this year. I I always like a different team, you know, get into the final. I think you could probably class Juventus as the underdogs in the last four, um, you know, with the other three in there. So I Which think, is crazy. <laughs> it, I, I mean, just just saying that myself sounded ridiculous, you know, to say Juventus are uh, are the underdogs going into it. But, um, you know, they're... They're leading their you know, Serie A by quite a way, aren't they? So um, you know, it looks to be looks to have that sewn up. So I think they they could probably uh, perhaps you know give these other other three um, you know a good game in the semi. <laughs> I'm still laughing at myself even saying that Juve 
uh, underdogs. But tiny so, club, tiny. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I, I still believe it needs to be revamped. I mean, they have revamped the Champions League, but I think it's far too big. Um, and the fact that the third place team in the in the in, in the league, in the group stages go into the Europa League just makes a mockery of uh, makes a mockery of the Europa League, really. I think I agree with Jay about the. Uh... Champions League just being the champions, I think there's a market for that. But to be honest, going back, got two two points on this. <laughs> going back to what I was talking about earlier, um, with the the money ball nature of football now, I think to be honest, it's getting to the point where they've got so little interest in hundred million pound players and eighty pound tickets and um, just all the tripe that goes with that. That to be honest, I, I can see it getting to the point where you know, like. Uh, there's been this Super League that's been talked about for so long with all the top European teams. It's been sort of rejected out of hand a load of times. I think it's going to get to the point where all of the responsibly run clubs are going to be telling the, the, the top five and six to sling their hook. <laughs> it's just like, I'm getting bored of it already. And like, like I do genuinely, the longer we're in the Premier League as a club, the less I like football. And, and that's, I've got no problem saying that. That is completely true. And I don't think that would have been the case 20 years ago. I think it's the way the game has gone. I think there's um, just less sport and more just rubbish. And I think I wanted to get this in earlier and I'm glad that we're talking about the Champions League because it's an excuse to mention it. I'm assuming it's from the game against Porto. Um, but the Bayern Munich team going down on their knees in front of the away fans. I'm assuming that was this week. Mm. Um, brilliant video. Thomas Muller climbs up and gets a megaphone from the fans. Yeah, um, comes comes back down and then stands at the front of all like all the away fans to just go mental and just basically leads the chant and starts a chant up. I don't know, singing something German. I don't know it, but <laughs> yes, yeah, starts the chant up and all the. I team thought you were going to sing involved. it. No, no, no. Ich bin nein. To be fair, uh, <laughs> chanting Germans in the past hasn't gone spectacularly well from a historical standpoint. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, he, you know, he got up with all the fans and he, and he led the chant, and all of the team were involved. You know, every single player was there. They were all chanting along with the fans, mm-hmm. and there was a bond there because there, there is a bond in German football where the fans own fifty-one percent of the club. And I, I know we talk about the Bundesliga a lot, but. And I'm not, and I'm not saying it's a model to copy because I think you, in a modern world you need to find uh, a unique solution for for a unique problem. But at the same time, I think the Champions League is uh, just one example of the increasing disparity between clubs that have owners who are just willing to throw money in and and, and make magic happen in the next few years. Um, and pff, I mean, like aside from clubs who who have grown up to be. Liverpool's and Manchester United's throughout the course of history. Um, it's very hard to see clubs uh, achieving that level of status now without some rich backer. And, and I think that's fundamentally flawed and I, I think that's wrong as a concept. Um, and I think if there is a way... I mean, like, yeah, I like watching Champions League games as much as anybody else. It's good, you know, they're good football. There's good footballers in them. But um, it's, a, it's a have and have not system that's developing. Uh, and it is worrying to me, to be honest. Yeah, um, I tend to watch most matches in most sports, to be honest. Um, but I, I, I do enjoy the Champions League. But there are things like this week with just the way Real Madrid reacted all match against Atletico that, like, I realize, again, to, to Scott's point, everything's either the worst or best thing that's ever happened. But it really was shameful the way that Real Madrid were acting during the match. And to be fair, how Atletico reacted after the match. 
Um, that was really disappointing. But on on the whole, uh, I do enjoy watching it. You do get to see a lot of elite players. I, I think it's very important for the development of players. I know a lot of times people just talk about the financial ramifications, but I've said it before, and I'll I'll say it till the day I die, which is Gareth Bale is not the player he is now, if not for that one Champions League year. Him having to go up against Mykon and the like really helped him figure out how to how to just skin players on, on the wing that he wasn't able to do previously. Um, and so I do think the, the player development aspect is a really important and often understated aspect of what happens in Champions League football. Um, as far as rooting interests, I still love supporting Bale and Modric, but I hate Madrid for <laughs> the way in which they got them. I have huge disdain. You know, I'm I'm on the Ronaldo hate train that's happening at the moment. I didn't used to care. Um, but just the times that he celebrates Bale goals. Yesterday when Chicharito scored, he went off and celebrated on his own while everybody was celebrating with Chicharito. He's like, you got the assist, man. Like, why are Did you... on reset, though. Huh? Did you hear what Henri said? Oh, yeah, how are you celebrating like you won the World Cup after what he did to Ireland? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. It's what Chicharito did, and he should have been celebrating Ronaldo, whereas Ronaldo just wants everything for himself. Yeah. Just Yeah, why isn't everybody supporting Ronaldo on that assist? Ugh. Gosh, there's no loyalty in football. But yeah, I am really tired of Ronaldo's antics, all of the... You know, flopping's everywhere, but it's every time. Flopping happens in the Premier League. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't. But staying down and acting like you're hurt for like three minutes? Like, just get just get up. I realize how ridiculous you look after you're hurt and then you jump back up, but at least you're still playing the sport. Like, they have to call things back constantly for people laying on the ground and the way they huddle around the, the referee all the time. It's just infuriating. It really is. So, uh, I, I do agree with Jay. I, I think I'm rooting for Juve. Um, there's an Italian place here in New York that we go to all the time. Give him a shout out. Via Della Pace. It's on 2nd and 7th if, if you're in the city. Um, but yeah, so I, I like what Juve are doing. I think Real Madrid are realizing how foolish they were to let Alvaro Morata go, even though it was for, for a handsome sum. I think him and Tevez partner very well. Their midfield is ridiculous. You realize that if they play four central midfielders, one of Pirlo, Marquisio, Vidal, or Pereira is sitting every week? Like, that's... That's nuts. That shouldn't be a thing. Um, but they're absolutely ridiculous. We've seen Mauricio Isla do fairly well for QPR. He's at QPR because he couldn't get a game at Juve. Just th- their their side is ridiculously deep. And I agree with Jay. They are the underdogs. And re-emphasize how absolutely absurd that is. It's just it's not even fair. It's just not. Um, I, I oh, say, did I, I leave I out Pirlo in that list of midfielders? You, no, you mentioned him, and it just reminded me of a tweet. A tweet I saw earlier on today. Hmm. It's a it's a picture of Pirlo uh, with a comment underneath saying, "I'm not saying I'm Batman, but if you send me and Batman in the same room together, <laughs> that's awesome." And a, a little known fact: Do you know he's been Player of the Year in Italy three of the last four years? <laughs> in his late thirties, how crazy is that? Absolute class. Well, somebody touched on it. I think I was watching some journalists on TV saying they have young player of the year here. Mm. They have player of the season. Why can't they have old player of the year? Yeah, right? Or at least like comeback player of the year or something. Yeah, something something like that. Wasn't he released? Wasn't Perlo released? Uh, By AC Milan. Yeah, it was was Lampard-esque. Yeah, they said he wasn't good enough. Yeah, and and like we had uh, Jim from Leicester on last week, kind of talking about how Cambiasso can just stand in the middle and just spray it. Like, Pirlo can play till the day he dies. He hasn't used athleticism in his game for the better part of a decade now. Like, 
it's not gonna stop and it's it's remarkable it really is uh and just so anybody knows uh, i did make a deal with the guys at at my italian place here that tottenham are gonna get marquisio in the next year or two uh, he said as soon as he's passed that we could have him so that's that's promising going forward palace are bringing uh perlo to the premier league next hey. year you heard just, it here just first. slowly get all you of them had, Lombardo before didn't you oh <laughs> man oh. Lombardo, my favourite ever Palace player to Brilliant. Absolutely that's, brilliant. Great hair. Awesome. <laughs> great hair. <laughs> uh, have you seen those pictures of uh, Pirlo and Zidane in their first years? And Pirlo and Zidane now? Yeah. Pirlo is like, he looks like two years older. It's, I don't understand. But isn't, isn't that the thing that Zidane was number 21 at Juventus? Mm-hmm. Perlo's number twenty one, and then and there's and there's a question mark saying big shoes to fill. Who's yeah. gonna be next twenty one? <laughs> I think I should retire to Jersey. Yeah, good luck, right? <laughs> Jeez. All right. Uh, well, we do not have time for player watch, which is fine because all of our matches were ages ago, uh, and none of us won but me. That's weird. That's not fun. We're gonna we're gonna move on to predictions, where we'll be looking forward to the matches that we'll be playing this week. Uh, the first match of the weekend is Southampton versus Tottenham. It is Pochettino's return to St. Mary's, where we're very interested to, to see what kind of reaction he gets from the Southampton fans. I think that due to their success this year, it would be a little bit beneath them to kind of slate Pochettino, because you know that would be the kind of reaction you'd have if somebody betrayed you and left, and then you were crap. And they've done very well. They're right next to us in the table. Um, so I'm expecting a, a pretty kind uh, reaction that way. We have had our successes against Southampton lately, though, so maybe they won't look at us kindly, but hopefully Pochettino isn't isn't given a poor reaction from the fans. Um, as far as team news, like I said, Larice, uh, we're hoping we'll be back. Vertonghen is back. Kyle Walker looks like he's going to be out for another four weeks, which is a problem um, just because we have very little pace in our attack, so we heavily rely on him and Danny Rose, who also might not be able to to make fitness, which would see us see Ben Davies at left back, who has improved since Scott and I used to laugh about it for pretty much the entirety of the first half of the season. Um, but obviously can, also... Can, can, I, can I jump in really quickly? Yeah. I've, been meaning, I've been meaning to say this all season, mm. and I haven't had the hat. And, and, and it took me a while to figure out what it was. Basically, right, Davis, with an E, yeah. is, is the Welsh way of spelling Davis. Mm. So it's not pronounced differently. It's just Davis, and then, like I didn't, I didn't mention it for the first few weeks, and then I felt bad. <laughs> so it's not Davies. No, it's not Davies. It's just Davis. It's just, uh, it's just the Welsh way of spelling it. Can you, know, you not? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I apologize. I've left it go this long, but yeah, seriously, man. We have like four weeks, six weeks left of the season. You're like, just so you know, I've got to say before the end of the season. <laughs> you should have done it. Yeah, you should have done it in the outro pod. That we do at the end, where it's just each person for five to ten minutes talking about their season, be like, "Oh, by the way, it's Ben Davis." Yeah, sorry to interrupt you, Flo. There. <laughs> well, fortunately, Danny Rose has been performing well, so it's cut down the amount of times I've been able to to Danny save Rose, Ben Davis from <laughs> Danny Rose. <laughs> um, but anyway, Ben, someone will be fully left back for us. Um, I'd expect to see Dyer probably at, at either right back or center back, Fazio in and about the side, Kane, Lamela and Chadley are legitimately having a competition to see who can be less effective than Townsend, which probably isn't a thing that you want, uh, going on at your club, but that'll be interesting to see. 
Uh, Erickson did really turn it on in the second half of the Newcastle match. How much of that was us progressing or them regressing? Hard to say, uh, but hopefully he'll push on. Um, will be interesting to see as as Poch's comments would be looked at in a much more stern light if we end up not really showing up for this match. Um, but hopefully, hopefully we'll do well. I, I, I'll say we're probably going to win as we have the last three or four times. So I'm going to say Tottenham win 3-1. All right, up next, we have Scott further discussing their travel to Newcastle. Yeah, Newcastle away. Yeah, you've got to be confident based on their form at the moment. <laughs> it wasn't hard for us. I'll say that, and we did not play well. <laughs> well, apparently the fans are going to be boycotting um, boycotting the match again. Like they, like, they can't really work out how many people boycott it because, obviously, season tickets. Um, like, I, I don't know how they do it at Newcastle. They probably could at the Swans because we've got those scanning things now. But um, yeah, they're saying they, they don't know exactly how many people boycotted the last match because season ticket holders are accounted as attending. Um, so apparently, yeah, there was quite a big drop in it. Well, I think it was the lowest attendance of the season last week. Um, and that was including what they reckon a load of people that didn't turn up. Apparently, they're boycotting again uh, against the Mike Ashley ownership, um, which, which probably helps us, let's be honest. Uh, Newcastle haven't won in six. Um yeah, we lost to Leicester, but they're fighting for their lives and, and they've been in some good form. Um, so that doesn't concern me in, in terms of sort of an on-run in, in bad form. We didn't play brilliantly, but at this stage in the season, for, for a lot of teams, every game's like a cup final. I mean, it, it, it might seem a long shot, but Newcastle, they're only what, seven points above the relegation zone now. So like Leicester have been picking results up. Burnley have shown themselves capable of, of getting results um, yeah they, they need to be careful they've lost six on the bounce um, I, I didn't realise they'd lost all of their last six matches so yeah there's plenty of sort of ammo for, for Gary Monk to motivate the Swans with it's just one, like I say one point needed to, to break the points record for the Swans obviously Newcastle aren't in great form we lost our last game uh, so we're looking to bounce back from that and I think we will to be honest I think uh, regardless of whether we go with the diamond formation or the wingers, I think I think we should have too much for Newcastle. I think CM De Jong apparently is is looking like um, yeah. he might he might he might be fit. I think he's a brilliant player because he's like uh, the Newcastle litmus test. It's like if you sign a player who's got a hamstring injury when you sign him, th- then you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Just like I'm not a physiotherapist, I'm not a scout, I'm not a manager, but I will I'll argue that in court. Like, you're an idiot. Signing hurt players while they're hurt. Yeah, just wait. Just wait and see what happens. And like, yeah, well, yeah, we, we kept getting linked with Jay Rodriguez for the last three transfer windows while he's been hurt, and I'm very glad we didn't bring him on. It's just it's just such a mad run for me, and I think I think there are problems with how Newcastle are run. Um, I, I feel for the fans. Um, yeah, I just, I just feel kind of privileged about how the way the Swans are run and sort of... Um, the, the peace of mind that that, that that allows you as a fan. But um, as for the game itself, I, I, th- I just think we should have a bit too much for them, to be honest, even without Gomez up top and even with, even with only scoring... Oh, there we are. Yeah, sod it. Swans to win 3-1 and at least one goal from a set piece. Sigurdsson, <laughs> <laughs> direct corner. Um, Jay, up uh, next, you're talking to us about your match versus Hull. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels with this one. Um, in well, when we look back at the West Brom defeat last weekend, we've got a returning former manager uh, in the in the in the shape of Steve Bruce. Um, he won't know. go into jokes <laughs> about what that shape is, but yeah, 
<laughs> I don't know why I highlighted shape, but there you go. Um, yeah, it, it is our former manager coming back to Palace. He managed us uh, a, a few years ago now, and Huller are a terrible run of form. They really are. They've lost four out of their last six, only drawn with, two. With Leicester those. picking up points lately, they're, they're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, and Hull's running is absolutely awful. I think they play us, and um, the rest of the teams they play are in the top six. Um, other than Burnley. Um, so that Burnley game is absolutely huge. Um, if there ever was a huge game down there, that's going to be it for them. But it, it, it's difficult to see. I mean, they they they, they need points. I mean, they're, they're travelling to Palace and they've failed to score in five of their last seven away games. They've lost their last three games in the Premier League and their um, Palace are undefeated against them in the last seven games at Palace against Hull in all competitions. So it all uh, points towards a whole win, doesn't it, really? <laughs> I mean, I say that tongue in cheek because last week, Palace fans, uh, a majority of Palace fans, were quite convinced that we would beat uh, West Pulis Albion as we uh, as we dubbed them last weekend, um, and, and that didn't quite materialise. But that was a different game, as I mentioned. Pulis knew a lot about us. Hull are in an even worse run of form than than West Brom were. Um, and to be honest, I expect us to have a reaction or see a reaction from the players in this game. At home again, I'm not expecting two defeats on the, in a row, but Hull are in a dogfight. And they don't particularly look like they know they're in a dogfight at the moment. So I'm predicting a Palace win in this one. Um, it might be close. It, Hull might actually realise that they're, you know, they're in one. I don't mean Hull as fans, because I know I've spoken to the fans and they're, you know, they're, they're they know well enough that they're uh, they're stuck down there and, uh, and and in real trouble of going down this season but you know the players to me um don't look like they're you know they're in that position they look they look more like a mid-table team so whether that changes I don't know but I'm I'm predicting a Palace win I'm going to go for a 2-0 result and um push Hull into an even more precarious position all right and Nick if you would be so kind as to talk to us about your upcoming match against Albion I honestly don't know what they were playing or what time, actually. That's how bad this week's been. Honestly, no <laughs> one's spoke about it. And we've... The season's over. Yeah, and we've got going to another Tony Pure side away from home. Just just not looking forward to it at all. But we need a reaction from Sunday, and I, we need to score at least two goals to sort of lift the pressure a bit, I think. But then... I don't know whether you're going to have a Liverpool fan on before next week, but we're going to Hull next week. And I just want to mention the the boycott that Liverpool fans are um, running for that game. They're buying £10 tickets, child tickets, because the club can't sell them on if they buy child tickets and people don't go or, or something along those lines. So we're buying £10 tickets and the fans aren't just going to go because of the, the price of the tickets at Hull. I think they're charging us £46, whereas... Wow. For Stoke, they only charge them £16 for away fans, which is just quite ridiculous, really. So if we're trying to do this and we hope other like fans will support the the action and maybe in the future other fans will, will come on board and hopefully this will reduce ticket prices. So rather than a lot of... I'm sure a lot of people go, oh, the away fans at Hull were crap and why, why haven't Liverpool got any fans there? But... We're doing this to try and you know help help with Premier League football and ticket prices. So I hope people can get on board with that. Um, yeah, back to to West Brom though. Uh, we've got a win, but we've seen plenty of times before going to Stoke, going to Crystal Palace against Tony Pulis. He just seems to have a number over Liverpool. 
So I think we'd have to be content with the draw, really, wouldn't we? I don't know if you have to, but you might be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we are out of time, though. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or if you want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Yeah, I'm Nick. I write for AnfieldIndex.com on Twitter at AnfieldIndex. I'm on Twitter at Nick underscore Truss. I wrote an article on the train home from Wembley. If you oh, want to read that, <laughs> if you want to read some more depressing stuff, were there was, teardrops on it? That was real deep. I think I might have broke my phone. Through the tears. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you want to read that, then then you know, go ahead and, and and do that. I'm about to record the next edition of the Athletic Writers Podcast. We are changing the name to the Writers Football Show. We're going for a little bit of a rebrand because. We need a sort of a fresh look after after Sunday just to read a bit of positivity in there. We've got a, a lot of new features coming to that, hopefully. Maybe a bit of interaction with, with other fans and you know, with obviously listeners of, of the podcast. So yeah, everything over I'm filling next I'm filling next channel as well, which is gonna be the new app, which I don't know when it's gonna be released. It keeps getting put back, so maybe the end of this month where all the articles and the podcast will be on there for you. So thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Um, I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. We're on Twitter at TheEaglesBeak. There's, there's lots of content on the website this week. Um, the latest articles go on. We had a chat with the guys at TigerLink. Peter's been, been on the podcast before. Uh, great guy. He's given us his thoughts ahead of the game this weekend. We're going to have our preview of the game online tomorrow. And we've also had an update from the Palace ladies, which I'll pop down to see the, the girls play at the weekend. In the, They had two cup finals they played in. Unfortunately, lost both. But uh, it's impressive how the club's being run and how the talent is uh, is coming through. And it's uh, it's a really good setup. So any Palace fans listening out there, get down and support the girls. A uh, few games left of the season and the first team could uh, could still they have an outside chance of uh, being promoted again, uh, which would be fantastic. It is an outside chance, but it's been a fantastic season for them. Um, usual great stuff on the site, so go and have a read, check it out. And uh, if you want to interact with us, then, uh, then get in touch. Yeah, cheers for listening. Uh, it's Scott from the Swansea Way. Check out the website, theswanseaway.co.uk. Um, follow us on Twitter at the Swansea Way. We do a Swansea podcast called The Jackcast. Uh, which is generally recorded on a Thursday night. Um, make it for a busy night for me. <laughs> so, yeah, check that out. That's at the Jackcast on Twitter or thejackcast.com. Um, yeah, again, cheers for listening. Yeah, big ups to uh, Nick and Scott for doubling up on podcasts tonight. Um, for me, uh, I'm continuing to do fantasy rankings over at playtaga.com. I have an article up now on Jay's site about uh, player of the year chances, which <laughs> made for a very interesting weekend, trying to root for my picks in that, as Sanchez <laughs> scored two minutes before Aguero scored, before Kane scored. Um, so uh, definitely through... Oh, sorry, Hazard scored, not Aguero, um, which made things very interesting in the, oh, he's going to win. No, he... All right. And then now we just pretty much ended up back at level. Um, but so if you want to read that, go over there. Uh, if you want to reach me personally... I'm on Twitter at Kevrov, K-E-V-R-O-V. And as always, you can reach us at the podcast by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.